many people here this morning. You must know Gary was going to be back. It ain't because of me. I know that's for sure. So anyway, what a privilege it is to be able to come again and share this morning. And as I was standing in back preparing and just thinking, you know, it's been a, an interesting time as Gary has been gone. And this morning, I count five of the men that have spoken during the sabbatical are here this morning. That's pretty incredible to have that unfold in this church this morning, to know that these men from our church have spoken while Gary has been gone. Uh, pretty neat to see in last week to welcome our president, and I know he felt welcome here uh, last week. In fact, some people, and I won't mention names, um, you know, we're supposed to go out to eat with the president, you know, and we're going to take him out, and he denied that. He said, you know, I kind of just like to get going. He was heading back to the cities. And uh, here I hear that some people from this church, and I won't mention names, but I'll look at some of them, um, went out to dinner with the president and didn't tell me or Brenda about it. So I don't know how that works, you know. Maybe I just, I'm, maybe I'm out. Maybe something's gone here. Maybe I'm, you know, on my way out the door. So if anybody knows that, let me know after so I can just make my quiet exit, you know. So, uh, but what a blessing it is to be here this morning and to be able to share. And this morning is going to be so different. The Lord has done something just completely different. So uh, you'll see me in a different form maybe than typical. Uh, and, and that's all him. Um, for the visitors that are here, welcome. It's a blessing to have you here, um, to worship with us, to be here, to hear what God has to say. Um, it's just a, a privilege to be up here this morning. So before we start, I would just like to open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, it is by your grace, as was just sung, the unmerited favor, Lord, that, that we, do not, um, we do not deserve, but Lord, that you shed out on us through the blood of your Son, as we sung earlier about the blood on the cross. So, Lord, I thank you for each one here. I thank you for the opportunity to be your mouthpiece. Lord, it's not about me, and there's nothing here that, that, that would bring anything to this, to this light of your word. But, Lord, it's by your grace that I'm able to share what you want shared. So, Lord, I ask that you would open my mouth and share what you want shared. And, Lord, that you would be lifted up. I thank you for each one's here, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each heart and each mind here, Lord, that it wouldn't be my words that are heard, but yours. Lord, we covet your Spirit's presence here this morning. And I pray it all in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, Gary back, he, uh, he kind of coined the, the term um, uh, table talk. And as I was speaking up in... Uh, Carl said for a number of, well, actually, it ended up being a number of years, kind of. Um, I had to come up with my own. I wasn't going to let him trump me, so I came up with uh, church chat. I think I, I like that a little better, church chat. So this morning, I'm just going to chat with you. I'm going to chat with you with, with what God's got going on with me, with what I am experiencing, and, uh, and hopefully you can, you know, you can glean a little bit from what the Lord and I have been talking about uh, uh, The title of the message, or the title of what it's sending around, is Deception. You know, as I look more and more into this world today, and as I see things going on in our world and in, in the people's lives around me, I see so much deception. I see so much of what people think is truth, and it's not. And it plays out in lives in sometimes some very ugly ways. And it's tough to even watch at times. To see people be deceived and go down certain roads and, and to be a dead end and them to find at the end that it was all for naught. 
uh, tough, tough times to see. In fact, the last number of weeks, the last two weeks, I've been hit hard. You know, you talk with somebody, you think you know somebody well enough, you think you know their faith, you think you know where they're grounded, and they, they throw you for a curve. I was talking to one gentleman this week, and we were having a, a, a deep conversation and, and some things of the Lord, and I, and, I, and I believe this guy just, and I believe he's got a heart for the Lord, I believe there's so much there. But he told me to my face, he said, Mike, I hope I go to heaven when it's all over. And I hope I'm purified in purgatory good enough to get there. I was thrown back to hear that. To know that he was hoping to go to heaven, that he was hoping to be purified in purgatory, found good enough to make it to heaven. Folks, I don't see that in our scripture. I don't see that in what Jesus shares with us. That there is a hope that one day we will make it. That one day we will do enough to get there. The deception that's there. And I bring it before us this morning to say if any of us, and there's many I don't know here this morning, if we think and if we're sitting in the pew this morning hoping that someday we're going to be good enough to get there, I'll tell you right now, I'm not and I'll never be. I'll never be good enough. I will fail. I will, I will go to my grave failing if I think I'm good enough. Folks, it's not about us. It's about what Christ did on the cross. Now, we need to have the hope of the resurrection, yes, but not in a hope that thinking that I hope at some point I get to heaven. Folks, I want to dispel that deception right now. Let that not be Apart. And if it is, and if you're thinking that this morning, come and see me after. I would love to share the truth. I, there is so much I'd like to share this morning, folks, in the time. I think last time I preached, I went about the longest I ever did. This morning, it might be the shortest I ever did. But I'm hoping that God's Spirit speaks to the hearts in a mighty way this morning. A second guy that I talked to two weeks ago, a deep man of faith, a guy that I, I think he's rock solid, love what he has to share. We've had incredible conversations about the Lord. But he came up to me and he said this. He said, Mike, he said, you know, I believe that if people are more or less morally pure, if, they, if they've never connected with God, if they've never given to his, their life to him, but yet if they're morally pure, if, they, if they've, you know, done some great things in their life, that they have the opportunity to be in heaven. (laughs) Threw me again for a total left curve. I'm going, you've got to be kidding. I know who this guy is. I know what he said. I know the conversations we've had. Yet there needs to be no connection with God and we can be in heaven. Folks, I see some eyebrows raising. You tell me in our scripture where we see that. We can go to John 15, and he talks about John 3, and he talks about all about being born again, about knowing the Savior, about connecting with him. You tell me that any of the missionaries that are here this morning that would go out on the mission field and tell people just to be good enough, just to be morally pure, and you're going to be fine. Amber, would you say that? I don't think so. Folks. 
But that's in people. That is in people that I connect with that I have believed. And I couldn't be wrong. I am human. I could have believed that these people know the truth and they know what is going on, but the deception is so real and it's in so deep. And yet we can be more or less morally pure. We can be good enough just on our own and make it to heaven. I know the pouring in that CTI did into Koch's life for her to be able to share when she went to Hong Kong is not that. And then this one. This one, this one blew me away, and Koch is the one who brought it to me. She said, Dad, do you know, and this is somebody in my family, I'm not going to mention names, do you know that so-and-so said that there is no hell? She believes there's no hell at all, that God would not send anybody to hell. He's too great of a God. Now, we all may have heard that before and have heard people say it to us before. But we look at the scriptures, and they talk about hell. They talk about it being a reason, about, about, about it being real. And Jesus talks about that. In fact, in Luke 16, I didn't want to go there, but I have to. At this point, if we look at Luke 16, and I'll have to read the account, because this is so, I mean, this blew me so much away. Luke 16, I'm going to pick it up in verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And at the gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell. There was, he, he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and, and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so, warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. These are Jesus' words. And he talks about hell himself, about a place of torment. And yet we can have those that know, that I believe know the scriptures and can say that there is no hell. Folks, are we not deceived? Are we not buying into 
a lie. It's unbelievable. And the last. This one may touch a little deeper in some of our lives. But I have talked to a gentleman many times. In fact, it's happened. It's, it's come across my plate different times. But one in particular that I'm thinking of is as we're in discussion with somebody about the Lord and as we're, as we're talking about our faith life and what God has done and, and where he has brought us, there are those that will say, and this was exact, exactly said, that, you know what, I said the prayer and I'm good to go. That's it. That's all I need. I said the prayer and I'm good to go. And the rest of their life now, they say they can live as they want. They said the prayer. Folks, you show me in this word where it says, just say a prayer. Just say the prayer. Just, there's a sinner's prayer somewhere hidden in Scripture that you say and you're automatically in, and the rest of your life is yours. See, as I see in the Scriptures, when we give our life to Christ, that's only the beginning. We need to say a prayer. We need to invite him in. That's not even in the word either, but we need to make him a part of our life. And that's only the beginning because at that point he starts to work in us and he's got a job and he's got a, a commission for each one of us. Yet many in the faith today and some even here, and I pray if that is you this morning and you think that you said the prayer and that's all you need to do again. Talk to me. Talk to Miles. Talk to somebody to share the full truth. Folks, it's not about just saying a prayer. In fact, when we look at scriptures and we look at what Jesus said, we are told we need to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. That's not a say a prayer, get me in, and let me live the rest of my life my way. I don't see that. You know, I write manuals for a living. I write operator's manuals and service manuals for Central Boiler, mainly for our, our uh, lawnmower line. And in our, in our manuals, we have, and many times I have to put it in there, we have cautions, we have warnings, we have uh, uh, a caution, we have warning, and a danger signal. All three. And they all mean different things. And as I go through and I write, I write the manuals, and I told my boss when I got hired, that I'm going to write from experience. I'm not going to write from just writing this thinking that's the way this should be assembled or the way it should be disassembled. I want to write from experience. So I get down in the shop. I get dirty. I get wrenches. I tear some stuff apart. I want to know how to put this together, and I want to know how to tear it apart so that when I write it down, the people following it can understand it. That they don't get to some point and say, well, the joker who wrote this never knew what was going on because you can't do what is written. I hope I never have a dealer come back and say that about what I've written. But, again, I'm human. But I try to write from experience. And I hope that people will read the manual because many of the questions we get in our service department is, you know, why, how do you do X? And it's like, did you read the manual? It's on page 26. We've got it there for you, Judy. You know, but 
And not that Judy doesn't read instructions. Don't get me wrong. She was just there with a smile on her face. But in that, so we look at that, I look at that, and I parallel that to this morning and to what I have shared in these four different situations. When I look at that, it's like, did you read the book? See, the, the Bible is our manual for our Christian life. It's got it written in there what we are to do. What we're to follow to live this life of faith. But you know what? And we kid about it at work and we've kid about it. I mean, there's a couple ex-Arctic guys here this morning too that, that knew what I did at Arctic. I worked closely with them. That nobody reads the manual. You buy an operator's manual. Now, I'm going to take a poll, and you don't, you don't answer if you don't want to, but when's the last thing you bought? Did you read the manual when you got it? Peggy did. Okay, I got one hand. Anybody else? The last thing you bought. Okay, Alan did. Okay, we got two. Two. Oh, we got three. Okay, I'm an auctioneer. We got four. Four. We got four. No, nope. She's shaking her head. Nope. She's not been. Oh, there's the fourth. Okay, four. Four. Fifth. John, did you have one? No. John was brushing the flyaway, but he bought it. He bought it. Folks, we don't read the manual, do we? And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not picking. It, 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 it's the truth. You know, and the same goes in our Christian life. We don't read the manual. And we wonder why we're deceived. We wonder why our world is full of deception. Turn with me to Galatians 6. Galatians 6, verse 7. Paul says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, I don't know if it's me. Therefore we have opportunity. Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. What is Paul saying to the Galatians? He's giving them a warning. Do not be deceived. God cannot be, mocked. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Folks, I'll guarantee you that God is true to his word when he says we'll reap what we sow. See, folks, if we're in this book, if we're reading it, if we're using it as a manual to our Christian life, it'll bear fruit. And it'll do mighty things in our lives. But for so many of us, myself included for so many years, never opened its pages. I was deceived, thinking, you know what? I can do this on my own. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn that wrench. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on that wheel or whatever. I don't need the manual. Come on, I've done this before. How many farmers are in here that says, I don't need any manual. I just jump into it and I go for it and do it. I tell you, to live in the Christian life, we can think we know it. We can think we can do it. But, you know, for me, this book is pretty thick. It's a pretty big manual. I don't think I could do much without it if this was what I'm supposed to be doing or knowing. 
Folks, God's not mocked. We're going to reap what we sow. If we're investing our life into the things of this world, into the things of, of the sinful desires of the, of the human nature, we'll reap right back from it. In fact, I'd love to share a story with you. It wouldn't be politically correct, and it probably wouldn't be more, it probably wouldn't be uh, rated G. In a story I read yesterday in a book, in a Bible that I got from a friend of mine, the Founder's Bible, where it talks about reaping what we sow and some of what it, we're reaping in this country today because of what we have done. But folks, we're going to reap what we sow. And if we sow to the Spirit, what does Paul tell them? We're going to reap the Spirit. We will reap the things of God. But again, we have to be in the manual. Turn with me to James. James 1. And it's a simple verse, and we've all heard it. It won't be anything new. James 1, in verse 22, it says, Do not merely listen to the world and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, will be blessed in what he does. What is James telling us? Folks, we need to be doers of the word, not only hearers. You know, we can read this, but it doesn't at all mean we're going to do it. We can know this. I know a guy at Arctic that I worked with, a phenomenal guy, loved the guy. He knew this word better than I did, better than I probably ever will. But to him, he reads it and he knows it because it's a history book. He's a history buff. He doesn't do anything it says. He'll tell me I'm crazy for believing in God, but he knows this word better than me. Folks, it's not about knowing it. It's not about even reading it. We need to take that extra step, as James challenges us, to take it and do it. It'd be the same as reading instructions for any kind of manual and then forgetting it and doing it your own way. Folks, I'm afraid there's many of us that do exactly that. We may read, but we don't practice. We don't do what it says. Therefore, we're going to reap that condition. We're going to reap the things of this world. The deception, we're going to buy into it. We're going to be sold out to it. And we're going to be led down that path that's going to lead to a dead end. And we're going to wonder what happened. Where did I take the wrong turn? Well, I go back. Did you read the manual? Last scripture, Colossians 3. My favorite book, and one that I thank God so much that he gave me Colossians 3 to know what the truth was about his word way back many, many years ago. But Colossians 3.16 tells us this. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. 
And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let the word of Christ, what? Dwell in you richly. See, once you read it, and now you've started to apply it and put it into your life and be a doer of it, then... It is to dwell richly in us. But why? As it continues, it says, May the, it richly um, dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Now you're going to say, wait, I'm not a teacher. I don't teach this stuff. I've never taught Sunday school. I've never, I've never done anything. I, I, I don't teach this. Yes, you do. Each one of us is to be a teacher of the word. Each one of us is to share with one another what God is doing in our life, what God has taught us to instruct one another because it says that we're to teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. See, if the word of God is in your life and you know it and you're being a doer of it, guess what? You're a teacher. And we're called, each one of us, as members of God's body to teach one another what God has taught us. It's as simple as telling your story. If you break it down simply and to give your testimony, tell your story. People say, I can't give any kind of testimony. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not whatever. No, just tell your story of what Christ has done for you. Here, just share with people what God is teaching you. But I'm going to share this, and this might get in a craw or two. If we're not in this, there's no way we can teach it. See, if we're not in the Word, if we're not diving into it, if we're not being one of a doer and not just to hear, we'll have nothing to share. We'll be empty. I see Alan back there. Alan would have nothing to share if he didn't study this Word. If he just said, you know, I'm just going to come up and throw a little bit out of what I know. I know Alan knows a lot, but without that, what's he going to bring? Miles, as he shared. Dan, as he shared on sabbatical. Myself, Dave over here. So folks, we need to be in this word. As I wrap up, two words I want to share. One is a remnant. If we look throughout scripture, and I won't dive into it deep by any means, there's a remnant. There's a, there's a, there's a group of those who have, have, it's more or less have committed, have stayed committed to the word. It goes back to Israel when they were wandering and all. There was a remnant that stayed. Gary could tell you a whole lot better than me. There's a remnant that stayed true, that didn't bow to Baal, that was true to God. Folks, I believe there's a remnant today in our church. There's a remnant among us as God's people that aren't bowing, that are saying, you know, we're going to live this thing out. We're going to be doers. We're not going to be hearers only. Now, I'm not trying to classify any of us here this morning, but if you're that remnant, God is calling us, calling the remnant. I'm not calling myself that, but I'm hoping, calling us to share this 
like we've never shared before. To bring the truth to light where the deception in this world, we talked about it a little bit with a guy this morning. We talked about if you come to church this morning and you get about a half an hour of the word, and then you do your own devotional during the week, the other six days of the week, for about, typically if you do the daily bread, you can read the scripture in about five minutes. So if you have five times six, that's 30 minutes, and you have 30 minutes this morning, you have an hour of the word in a week. Now you tell me, any of you sports people, that if your coach knew that you were spending only an hour a week practicing for any sport, how happy would he be? How far would you get? How well would you play? Not very well. You wouldn't know the game very good. Yet many of us can can whittle our spiritual life down to that. And that's it. The remnant is those that are living this thing, that are walking this thing, that day in and day out they're living this, that they eat and they breathe this. Folk, if that's you, and on the flip side, if it's not, if you're looking at this this morning and saying, I'm kind of that hour, hour a week, then maybe the Lord this morning is speaking to you that things need to change. Maybe he wants a little more connection with you. Maybe he's drawing you a little closer. Saying, you know what, I have so much more I want to give you, but you're limiting yourself by giving me so little. Maybe we need to give him a little bit more. So to wrap it up, I just simply put out that invitation. This morning, folks, this world, if we have an hour of God in the week, yet we live in this world that you just need to turn the TV on for a couple moments and you can find out where we're at as a country. And we have it all around us, in our pockets, in our palm, in front of us on a screen. We're inundated by the world and we think an hour of God is enough. I invite you to come back. I invite you to get serious with God. I invite you to live this thing out, not just casually for an hour a week, but live it each day, each hour. I'm challenged. Dan, what he shared a number of weeks ago, the test we were supposed to take, and about praying without ceasing. I've tried to continue to pray without ceasing all through the day. It is difficult, but I'm working on it. Folks, we need to be sold out to him. We need to be looking at the world and the deception that is there and say that's not going to cut it an hour a week. We need to give God so much more. So this morning I pray. And maybe you, maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe, maybe this morning you're saying, you know, I don't know what this whole God thing is. I'd love to speak with you after. I'd love to share with you deeper because I'll tell you, this God and what he promises and what this Bible tells me and the life that I can lead is phenomenal. But like I've said, we need to deny ourselves take up our cross, and follow him. In fact, I'm going to read that from Mark 8 because it's so critical. Mark chapter 8. And these are Jesus' words. 34. And then he called the crowd to himself, saying, and to to his disciples, and again, this is Jesus' word, if any would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. 
but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me in my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father glory with the holy angels. Folks, I can't say it any better. I'll leave it at that. Jesus' words. Deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Let us pray. Father, our world is a crazy place. And we're living in a crazy time. But Lord, we have an incredible God. A God that knew exactly the way the world would exist today. And Lord, you've given us your manual. You've given us all we need. Yeah, Lord, I'm afraid. Myself included, we so often never open the manual. We think we can do this on our own. We think we have it figured out. We think we know how this all works. So, Lord, I pray that you would work in your life here, that you would dig down deep, that, Lord, you would take us to places you've never taken us before, that, Lord, we would commit to you like we've never committed to you before, to truly live out this life of faith. Lord, to dispel the deception this world gives so freely and draws us away from you in so many ways. So I pray that you invite your people back and that we would be committed and we would, as your word says, as you told us, to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow you. Lord, let us live that way today and each day of our life. And it is in the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.